Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra. And I'm Gaiti. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You will also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. In this episode, I'm in conversation with Bhakta Muralidharan, AVP, Unified Communications at Sampo International. He shares how his first job to develop electronic solutions for use in the Indian Navy for data collection increased his appreciation and attraction to work in software that he got an exposure to towards the end of his undergrad course. After master's, getting an opportunity to work on Ethernet that was just becoming more widely adopted. And he continues to talk about the various things that he did as technologies were emerging, such as the client-server approaches, or in terms of networking, the SNMP, or the Simple Network Management Protocol. Moving to companies to Lucent when AT&T was split up and working on what's called as the management information base for knobs that could be manipulated to change the behavior of networks. And then on to Cisco, when the company was acquired and preferring to work more with technology and interfacing with people, you know, read it as customers. And so taking up roles in service over software development. And he also mentions why one needs appropriate technology and not necessarily the latest technology when IT is an enabler for the core business. I asked him a question about how comfortable it was working with customers and supporting them. And the answer to that question and some more interesting pieces of information from his experience will be in the second episode. Listen on. Hi, Murli. Welcome to the Software People Stories. Glad to be here, sir. Like we always do, I'd like to start with your own self-introduction. You can talk about your origin story and your career trajectory, and we can take it from there. Surely. So, um, I mean, you know about me, and we went to school together after graduating. Um, from um, undergraduate in 1980. I went to work in uh, Bombay for Tata Electric Company, R&D. Uh, so they had a um, small R&D division, which um, it was an electric company, but the R&D division did something. In those days, um, this is uh, going back, of course, you know, 40 years ago, um, Intel had just um, uh, introduced this 8080 chip, if you recall. Uh, you know, uh, pretty basic and um, uh, you know, interesting architecture. And so the, they were developing electronics for uh, for use and piloting with the Indian Navy uh, uh, in those days, right? And uh, one of the things that um, that they had going at the time uh, when I um, you know joined them in 1980 was um, they were doing some sort of um, uh, data collection from um, a couple of different sensors. So they were all serial interfaces. Uh, and Intel 8080 had, uh, there is a serial interface module, a card, uh, the you know chip, I should say. This used to collect uh, data periodically. And um, in, in terms of, um, and it used to get deposited, um, right, you know, on offboard um, secondary storage. In those days, in terms of analytics, uh, nothing significant was being done. But um, all the same, the opportunity to um, work in a microprocessor environment doing software at a fairly low level was quite exciting. And I should say that, um, you know, as you know, Shiv, you know, we studied 
um, electrical and communications engineering, right? That was our major ECE, um, wherein we had um, uh, a mixture of um, electronics and, and and the information theory, um, error correction codes, and and and, um, and even some uh, uh, radio electronics. Uh, we learned a lot of that. But towards the end of our um, undergraduate program, if you remember, sort of software sort of started to take off. It was appealing to a lot of us, right? Um, for reasons that's still not uh, very clear to me because I think looking back, hardware could be just as um, exciting, but all the same, I was uh, drawn, um, you know, bitten by the software bug and uh, wanted to transition after having, um, um, I remember even in my bachelor's, the project was to build uh, some sort of a timer using um, those days SSI integration chips, right? Uh, small scale, uh, probably 10 transistors in a chip. So we did all that, but um, ended up um, drifting, leaning towards the uh, software industry. And the job opportunities, job opportunities also were opening up more for software in India at the time anyhow. Um, so um, so I went and worked for them for, um, for roughly a year. Pretty exciting, a lot of stuff to learn. Uh, you know, did coding and macro and stuff like that. And But I did want to, um, you know, get a shot at doing uh, uh, postgraduate studies. Mm-hmm. So I have applied even as we're graduating and uh, a bit too late. Uh, so I wasn't getting um, uh, admissions at the time. So I went back and think took the, took the GRE again and applied again. And, um, you know, uh, was lucky enough to get into uh, school in, in the Boston area. Northeastern University. And also, if you remember in those days, uh, getting a student visa was somewhat iffy. And um, I remember getting rejected in Madras. So um, so then I appeared in Bombay, got the visa, and uh, came over to um, uh, Northeastern University. This is a master's program in um, very similar type of major, uh, electronics and communications. Um, it was uh, a little bit more um, into um, computer engineering and uh, less so on radio electronics, right? okay. microwaves and things of that nature. So uh, it further kind of um, prepared me to go more into the software industry. And so as you remember, when we were in college, there is software in the form of academic courses was not extensive. There was probably one or two here and there, I remember doing some Fortran, which had just obtained DEC 10 system. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, and we were, it was quite exciting. And prior to that, I don't remember, was there an IBM system with the card reader and everything? So the deck system, we had just literally the last year of our college, we had it. It's quite exciting. Uh, so digital was a big name in our minds. And so uh, the attraction and appeal towards software, of course, intensified. Uh, in my graduate school, as my, you had a choice between doing a project versus uh, doing a couple of um, elective courses to graduate. And I ended up uh, doing a project. Um, looking back, it was quite a simple, but exciting back then, nevertheless, a simple project of um, programming a, a robot uh, to move um, a small object from one coordinate X1, Y1, Z1 to another coordinate X2, Y2, Z2. Then pretty trivial task, mm. but um, it was pretty exciting. It was, um, uh, we had obtained a small robot Trying to remember the maker of the robot, uh, I'll, get, I'll get it in a minute. So anyway, so we got that. And when we got it, um, it was only capable of very low, uh, it's called uh, like a micro code, right? Not even at a macro level. So we had to write a compiler 
for the macro to so you could then write somewhat higher level program uh, you know for every little thing you didn't have to write 25 microcode instructions did that quite exciting and um, and the other thing that we did if you remember right around 1980 was when ethernet was invented right mm. by three companies digital equipment corporation intel and xerox they were the three uh, pioneers and they, they invented and um, we in the lab, you know, I, I got an assistantship. By the way, I should mention, when I first got admission, I didn't get a scholarship. Mm-hmm. And uh, my uncle was um, in Boston then. So he funded my first semester. Nice mm-hmm. of him to, you know, write a check for $6,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I came here with no scholarship. My father borrowed money to put me on the plane. In those days, it was seven rupees for youth, US dollar. That's uh, mm-hmm. so a nice uh, thing to capture, right? Remember. Um, so about two months into the um, program, I was fortunate that I got an assistantship in the lab, computer lab of a, of a professor there, right? So he was to write some programs, which I did, and they paid um, decent sum of money, which was enough for me to um, pay my tuition as well as um, you know take care of myself. Uh, so quite quite lucky. So very happy about that. So in the lab, one of the things we tried was normally, right? Ethernet has some uh, algorithms. It's called Collision detection CDMA. So collision, what it means is when multiple systems are connected to the Ethernet, think of it as a linear wire. Um, obviously, when one um, computer injects traffic into the into the wire, mm-hmm. another could, right? Purely by chance, but randomly. So um, then you would cause what's called a collision, in which case the pulses that you put out are not intelligible. Then you would back off. Um, and if you back off by the same amount, and come back, you're going to collide again. So then how do you resolve it? So they, there is an algorithm called CDMA um, and then collision detection. And it was a random back off. So you're back off by a random amount of time and come back. That increases the chance of your securing the line before you inject traffic into it. Mm-hmm. So we we had, in those days, I'm sure you remember, right? There's copper telephone wire through the walls mm-hmm. in all the, you know, the rooms in all the buildings. So you plug your telephone, um, you know, two-wire telephone into that uh, socket. Uh, it's called, called an RG11 connector. And we used that and connected it to our serial interface on the computer okay. and tried to create an Ethernet using existing wiring in the building rather mm-hmm. than tearing apart the walls to create, you know, put new Ethernet uh, coaxial cable and CAT5 and 6. None of that existed there in 1981. So, um, so we were able to... Create, we are able to actually communicate between um, many computers in the lab. So that was really exciting. It's not something that we did originally. It was the technology was already out. We just, uh, we tested it with um, with copper wire that was already in the building, uh, you know, that was used for telephone wire. And um, and we were able to do it. So that was pretty exciting. But that also got I me a job the, in digital. I remember learning and then it was pretty exciting. And I heard the term saying null modem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's right. Those are the days of null modem. Uh, do you know the speed? Ridiculous. 256 kilobit per second, something like that. Even 256 was advanced. I, I think US robotics, there are modems for 64 kilobit per second, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, uh, I don't even know, you know, how we communicated in those days. But nevertheless, that was the, you know, prevailing speed. So fortunately, I got a job in the campus interview with the digital um, after I graduated. And uh, they had something similar, low-cost Ethernet um, 
card uh, for computers that day. Digital was doing a few PCs. I remember uh, ORG systems used to be digital uh, partner in, in, in around the world, particularly in India. Uh, and um, and you know this was even that one time uh, you know worked with um, a few engineers that were in the US from ORG. Um, so then um, so that sort of was my introduction or my um, entry into communications part of uh, digital communication, discrete communications part of um, the software industry, if you like, as opposed to other uh, in software is a very vast field. And uh, this is something that is uh, maybe because we learned some communications information theory um, uh, from in school, this is a bit appealing to me and attractive to me. And this is a, an opportunity to work in software, um, in computers, and, 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 and but do something in communications, right? It was also the time, if you remember, uh, Bolt, Berenek, and Newman, the ARPANET was just introduced, uh, you know, started to make it big. They did emails and stuff like that. So it was, um, it was somewhat of a bleeding edge uh, in, in the computer end. So it sort of felt good to be associated with it. And um, I should mention it also, uh, you know, paved the way for them sponsoring my permanent residence, you know. So why not? So uh, that was a good uh, stayed with them. Um, uh, I worked on after that um, in, a, in an area uh, called... Um, those days were also, if you remember, we moved away. We interesting computer industry. We go back and forth, right? Every ten years, we so in those days we moved away from centralized computing to distributed computing, right? So IBM used to have all these centralized computing. The terminals are dumb, and and then the distributed computing started uh, within many computers, uh, uh, you know, um, and uh, banging networks, digital network computer equipment corporation. And so they had this client server technology architecture was developing, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, a good amount of um, intelligence uh, remained in the server and, uh, but some amount of, um, um, you know, intelligence and capability shifted to the client, uh, thereby maximizing or optimizing the use of these server. So mm -hmm. if something could be done locally, uh, you know, um, it, it made sense because um, this also, if you think about it, um, I think the youngsters may be interested to find, right? There's a constant uh, intertwined history of computing and networking. Mm -hmm. The computers become a little too fast to inject traffic. The transmission was not quite up there. Then at one point, the transmission became very, um, very, um, uh, you know, capable in terms of speed. The computer doesn't get then computers a little bit behind. They constantly do this back and forth game even today, right? So, um, in a sense, if you think about it, um, uh, the telephone wire um, only carried voice um, for almost a hundred years since uh, Alexander Graham Bell invented the company AT and T, thinking that um, you couldn't put faster traffic in it without getting distorted, right? You need optics, but later on it is disproved with the DSL technologies that you could modulate. If you modulate it with a, with a fairly advanced modulator on your reused robotics card, the same old damn copper line can now carry much faster speeds, right? Mm. And uh, that goes on for quite a while until recently now when we get now fiber to the curb, fiber to the home. Uh, but until recently, you could get quite fast uh, you know, the telephone. So somewhat similar. So I worked on a print server Mm -hmm. whereby uh, the clients would um, send print jobs and the print server would then, uh, you know, print it. Um, this client-server technology was sort of, uh, was something that I, uh, I had an opportunity to work on, quite interesting. And as you know, 
uh, what is it called X11 came out of MIT, right? And Java, uh, where this whole, the notion of um, doing a lot of computing locally on your computer uh, to, to display and, and do things, or even handle some small levels of um, human user interface uh, rather than burdening the server, right? That, that sort of took off. So worked on that. And I was a digital for almost um, 11 years. Then I had an opportunity to go work in, in Bell Labs for a few years where they were developing this um, frame relay and ATM transmission technologies. So that was very interesting. At Digital Labs, um, I was an employee, but in Bell Labs, I was a consulting role. I had an opportunity to work on network management. In those days, the IETF and IP-based networking was taking off and uh, the traditional OSI-based uh, networking was sort of giving info. If you remember, uh, a lot of the OSI, the OSI standards are very big, you know, CCITT, but I, I, you know, IP sort of came from behind and, you know, started becoming pervasive. And so went to work in at and A lot of this uh, frame relay and ATM technologies, it, frame relay for sure, right? CCITT standard and the TCP IP was taking off uh, as a level three protocol. If you remember the, if you, you know, from the stack, uh, you know, the level one, level two, uh, right? Yeah, transport. Yeah, exactly. IP at the internet level protocol. IP was replacing um, other protocol, including X25. And, and, but at the lower levels, the frame relay and, and ATM, um, you may roughly say it's a level one and a half or level two. Uh, that was a technology that's very interesting. The AT&T delivers service as a telephone company, but the service development happened in Bell Labs, right? Including the technology. So Bell Labs always develops technology and then the, the parent company, AT&T, goes and deploys it across the country uh, to monetize it. That was very exciting uh, for me. I'm still doing software, but I was doing uh, network management. Uh, it was interesting because prior to, at the time, if customers needed to subscribe to a circuit with a certain bandwidth, they can do so, but if they want to change the speed because their needs grew, their their, their business grew, then this had to be, this was a big deal. They had to create a work order, uh, AT&T would then, uh, you know, go through the work in their uh, control, knock control center, network operation center. It would be a major project. So frame relay allowed for really cool technology whereby customer could uh, go online and, and just change their um, characteristics or speed of their line, you know, in a matter of minutes. Much like if you think about AWS today, you know, Computing, if your needs grow, you get elastic computing. You know, you don't even have to go, you just have to define you know your needs and you just get a bill at the end of the month that for two days in the middle of the day, in the middle of the month, you know, your computer needs went up, you use more memory and your CPU, you get bill for it. How wonderful is that? In those days, as you know, it was painfully manual uh, for transmission and circuit. Um, the previous uh, dedicated circuit, T1, as you remember, was, was, was a modulation technique, right? So in T1, it was 1.54 megabit per second. And if you needed a higher speed, you couldn't. You could then go to what's called a fractional T3, where you could put multiple T1s together. And all of that was a very manual and taking very long time, almost fondly. I recall, I don't know about fondly, my father used to work for Indian telephones. And those days, getting a telephone was like it was a two-year project. Almost silly to look back and think of those days back in India and in any part of the world for that matter. Uh, so th that's how it was for transmission lines, um, this is the last mile uh, in, in the customers, right? So the frame relay allowed customers to, on the fly, dynamically alter their uh, pipe size, so to speak, and, and we implemented using what's called a network management. 
and the network management was um, using ISO OSI stack, I should say. And then in, in parallel on the side, this SNMP protocol came along, if you remember. Mm-hmm. And um, t- true to its name, it was a much simpler, it's a simple network management protocol, right? I, I knew this was taking, you know, developing and, and just growing in, in interest. So I, I learned SNMP and it opened up a lot of job opportunities for me. Uh, so in frame-related network management, you know, even uh, I was fortunate to work with some pretty smart people in, in AT&T and uh, learned a lot and implemented some, um, it's called customer network management, um, as opposed to opening a ticket and having AT&T do all that. Um, so I worked on that for some years. And then um, in 1993, if you remember, AT&T model split three ways into mm-hmm. Lucent Technologies, AT&T, and then something called NCR. We had to choose. I went and worked for Lucent Technologies in their um, wireless uh, division, right? Um, in those days, it was 2G. Now we are in 5G in wireless, right? So it's the second generation wireless. It was uh, something called AMPS in the U.S., in Europe and India, it was a different technology. So it was a fairly uh, pervasive in the U.S. So I worked on it for some time, again, developing and uh, defining the something called MIP, right? Management Information Base, that basically captures and models what about your system can be managed. When I say managed, includes monitoring, right? So any system, if you take uh, from a management standpoint, there are some knobs you can tune, you can turn to uh, uh, change, and some things are one way. You read, it's a sensor output. You, it's a feedback control system. You read the sensors, figure out if it's performing optimally, and if it's not, you know, you then alter something, right? Maybe gain something, you know. So we call them control knobs. So the MIB management information base would capture all that in a, in a hierarchical data structure. So we developed some MIBs for second generation wireless cell towers for, for mm. Lucent Technologies and implemented them also. So that was interesting. There's also right around then, C++ as an object-oriented software paradigm was starting to take off. One of my uh, my manager joined a startup company uh, called Maxcom Technologies, which was using um, DSL technologies to provide multiple lines in a home. So normally when you have, in those days, in the 1990s, uh, mid-90s, you may have 10 phones at home, one in the kitchen, one in the bedroom, but they're all same number, right? Same number, just different devices. Uh, the DSL technology uh, that, that we developed allowed you to have different lines mm. for the different endpoints in your house. So the bedroom line could be a different number from the number. Uh, I don't know how applicable it would be, and it was right around the time cell phone technology was taking off. So, but we are lucky that we got um, the startup got acquired by Cisco, mm-hmm. and uh, we, uh, you know because they in, implemented the technology that Belcore had uh, defined to, to to do this multiplexing of uh, voice channels on a mm-hmm. DSL line. Mm-hmm. So that was the attraction, and so they bought they bought the company. We were thirty people. We joined Cisco Systems in 1998. But soon after that, Cisco just tore down the product and solution and just kept the people as often. Has it right? Uh, it's the people that they uh, that they really uh, like, and, and the technology itself evolves. And su- sure enough, the days of technology sort of faded away. And uh, there used to be even uh, in the U.S. and you know, in India too, Cisco made a lot of uh, line cards that get. Um, uh, so normally, uh, just to give some background. Normally, your telephone line is um, can go up to one point 
eight miles, right, without any distortion. If you want to go beyond that, you would um, you would terminate it and then um, you know boost it and, and then you know to send it on the sometimes even digitize it, right? So these are called VDSL uh, line cards. So they used to use the Cisco boxes in, in at the end of a block. If you have a development block community, they put one at the end of the community that basically is okay. It's not just a dumb repeater, uh, but it also uh, digitized it. So it was used for those technologies. Anyway, the telephone thing went away, cell phone took off, and you know, you and your daughter and son, everybody could have different lines uh, without uh, without uh, a fear of uh, anybody else picking up. So from a technology standpoint, by the way, but Cisco was, was very interesting. It was really in the IP world, uh, Cisco was taking off as a big routing and switching gear provider, right? Uh, they were not in software back then. So routing and switching were really um, uh, well-known and well-deployed. They, they had that routers for every customer uh, base, right? So they made routers all the way from internet service provider routers all the way to a mom and pop shop, uh, you know, your dentist routing, routing device. So I worked on a medium level, it's called 10,000 routers. And the, the router has a route engine, which, which used to be called Pizza Box. And the route engine had different functions from QoS um, to security to ACLs, uh, access control and, and device control. So there are a couple of they got, they got technology towers. So I worked on them for a few years. And But in the meantime, you know, it's interesting at this time. Until then, I was always somehow tried to work uh, only in engineering development and tried to associate myself with them. Um, Bleeding edge, not uh, primarily because it was exciting to me, and and more because you know uh, perhaps op- job opportunities, right? And uh, as you know, especially in the U.S., you know Indians um, are known for their STEM, uh, math, science capabilities, and so uh, you know some of these technologies involved you know some uh, smart programming and things. So it um, it was very appealing from a job, and uh, you know, and also to me personally, uh, um, I felt more comfortable uh, being in the engineering corner of a of a company, then I was not, I should say, I, working with people was not my strength. Okay, managing a team of people was not my strength. And something that I shied away from. But I did recognize that I like working with people. Um, not not people within the company as employees, but people outside customers, so to speak. So I was looking to migrate a transition to a service-oriented role, not software development. The other thing that led to my thinking, right, uh, was um, it's all nice and great to work in cutting edge technology, but very often, if you leave the engineering domain, the common industry is well behind cutting edge technology. They are still using last generation technology, and that's something you have to contend with. And then to give an example, just to fast forward, I work in, in an insurance industry now, insurance company, financial services industry. Some of the technology is waiting at our doorstep to be deployed, but the people are not ready yet. And um, and and obviously, you know, you are an enabler of the business. You are not the business, right? In, an, in a financial company, IT is only an enabler. So IT is only to make their work efficient, their collaboration efficient, it's not the mainstay. So, so anything you do, uh, if it's going to cause confusion, if it's going to have a steep learning curve, that's discouraged against. And this, it's not it's not a wise way to um, introduce technology also. That doesn't mean to say it's not gonna happen, it's gonna happen, but I, I'm, I'm recognizing that um, this passion to, to be in the cutting edge, to be in the bleeding edge, 
is okay if you work for the Microsofts and Cisco's and Google's. Okay, so that's where you develop them. But in terms of adoption, in terms of deployment, uh, you'll find depending on the which part of the technology, they are not they not be so savvy to 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 embrace it, to consume it. Right. So I recognized it and and I discovered it, so to speak, when I moved to the trans um, service oriented uh, part of Cisco. That is good to know, Mutli. One question here. How comfortable was it to be working with customers and supporting them, particularly coming from an engineering or a developer mindset? The answer to this question and a lot more in the next episode. Don't miss that. We thank Siddharth for the music and Anita for promoting the software people stories. If you like this episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network. If you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcast at pm-powerconsulting.com.